coming to you from the Deep South. This is the Blue Collar Leadership Podcast. High impact leadership is not reserved for leaders, and it has nothing to do with your position, title, or rank. However, it does have everything to do with your character. It's time to climb to the next level and beyond, personally and professionally. Now, let's start making it happen with your host, Max Story. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to take a few moments and give you a preview of what you're about to hear and also direct you to some other series that I already have uh, completed on my podcast. So you're about to listen to Blue Collar Kaizen leading lean and lean teams. You're listening to a 30-part series on that. Today's episode is just one of 30. Uh, It's specific to lean leaders, lean managers, anyone who's leading teams of people through process improvement and continuous improvement projects, Six Sigma, those kind of things. It's not about the tools and the methods and all that. It's about how to lead teams of people. So any leader, anybody at any level can get value from this. But I just want you to know that's what this series is about. It's about that specific book. So hope you enjoy it. But but I have some other series that may interest you if this series does not. Got a lot of episodes already out there. But I have a book called Blue Collar Leadership, Leading from the Front Lines. It's all about how to become a high-impact individual, how to become an a sought-after employee of choice, uh, an employee that people want to hire and want to promote. That series, there's a 30-part series, starts at episode 65. I have another series on my book, Blue Collar Leadership and Supervision, Unleash Your Team's Potential. That book is for, for leaders, formal authority leaders who want to learn how to effectively lead people. That series, 30-part series, starts at episode 111. I have another series. It's an 11-part series on my book, 10 Foundational Elements of Intentional Transformation, How to Become Your Best Self. That series starts at episode 158. I have another series on my Blue Collar Leadership and Culture, The Five Components for Building High-Performance Teams. That book is really for the top leader, and it's how, how you... How do you become the sought-after employer of choice? It's a 30-part series. It begins at episode 179. My wife, Rhea, and I, this year in 2021, the theme for for my podcast this year was all about change. That's why I'm doing this series on Blue Collar Kaizen, Leading Lean and Lean Teams, because it's all about leading teams through change. But we have a a 15-part series we, we recorded together on our book, Change Happens, Leading Yourself and Others Through Change. That series starts at episode 211. And then this Blue Collar Kaizen Leading Lean and Lean Team series, the one you're about to listen to, a one of the uh, episodes of, it started at episode 230 and will be a 30-part series. So it's going to take a little while to finish it. hope you find value in some of these series. Let's get to today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening to the Blue Collar Leadership Podcast today. Today we're on chapter five, make it happen. And the subtitle is managers make a plan, high impact leaders make it happen. That's a big difference. So we're on chapter five in this 30 part series on my book, Blue Collar Leadership, or excuse me, I say that a lot, Blue Collar Kaizen, 
leading lean and lean teams. Blue Collar Kaizen, leading lean and lean teams. And it's where I'm sharing lessons from when I logged over 11,000 hours leading leaders, hundreds of leaders, thousands of their team members through hundreds of Kaizen events. And every single one, tremendous success, everyone. Not because I was special, but because the principles that I was applying are special. And I'm teaching you the leadership principles in this series that allowed me to be highly effective with all these teams. Teams that I didn't necessarily uh, always know the folks. But I got to know them. They got to know me. And we got tremendous results. That's what I'm sharing about is the, the people side of lean. Again, this series, I'm not talking about the lean tools. Yes, I know about them. That ain't what I'm talking about. You got to go somewhere else to get that information. That's not my focus anymore. But I'm highly, highly motivated to grow and develop lean leaders. Those people who are still out there doing what I used to do, who have a passion for it. I had a passion for it, too. I still do. That's why I wrote this book, because I want to help all of you be successful leading teams of people through process improvement. So go back. I go back to the title of this chapter. It's titled Make It Happen. When I walked in the room every week for a five-day Kaizen event, when I walked in on Monday morning, that was my mission. Whatever the, whatever the mission was from the company, my mission was to make it happen. And what I have learned throughout my career was managers of people like to make a plan. Oh, they love, man. They love to get in a room. Managers, managers love to get in a room with a PowerPoint on a wall, sit in the office, drink them some coffee, had air conditioning going, come up with a plan. I've I seen so many managers, man. They some good ones out there. They're real good at that. They tear up a cup of coffee, man. They'll get in their way when they get that coffee on the table. The high-impact leaders make it happen. They might have a plan, but they execute the plan. They go out to what in the lean world we call the gimba, G-E-M-B-A, another one of those Japanese words. All it means is the actual place where the work happens. That means get out on the shop floor. You might get a little dirty, but you're going to be okay, big man. That's what I always wanted to tell them. That ain't what I said, but that's what I wanted. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> and so I, I didn't mind getting dirty. I wanted to get dirty because I knew when I got dirty, I was going to build relationships. People are going to see I was a real person. I didn't think I was better than them. It's what we talked about a little bit last time. I didn't say that specifically. But I was talking about developing authentic influence. I'm telling you, if, if you listen to this and, and you're a pretty boy consultant, and you walk in with your fancy watch and your fancy shoes and your fancy clothes and, and you're just going to stand above and hover over everyone doing the work, you're going to struggle. Because I'm telling you, the blue collar folks, they ain't going to think much of you. But if you walk in with your, with your get dirty boots on and you get dirty jeans on, yeah, you can wear a nice shirt, but don't be worried about getting it dirty. And don't wear that fancy high dollar watch. And you go get in amongst it with the people. I mean, as a consultant, I, I would put on a Tyvek suit. I'd go clean some of the dirtiest, greasiest stuff when we were doing 5S events. That's how I built relationships. That's how I got results. That's how I made things happen is I led. A lot of lean leaders want to manage. They want to stand off to the side. They don't want to get involved. 
And no, I did not do that all week. If I had been in a Tyvek suit for five days straight, who would have led all the people? What I'm telling you is sometime during that week, especially at the beginning of a 5S event, whenever we'd get to the clean phase, I would always put my stuff on. I'd go out and attack the dirtiest component I could find. Because if the consultant will do that, what are the other folks going to do? They're going to stand around and watch the consultant from outside do it. Yeah, they're going to watch you laugh and make jokes, but then they're going to get all in the middle of it with you. They're going to go do their part. And that, that was one thing that I knew to do, and I always did it. But I also saw some of the other folks that I described, the, those pretty boy consultants. And, uh, yeah, they look slick. They make lots of dollars, but they don't make lots of friends. And also, they don't get a lot of buy-in. And also, when they leave, a lot of the people don't sustain the gains. And then that pretty boy consultant, he's going to blame the people. See, high-impact lean leaders, they accept responsibility. If the people ain't buying in, it's because I ain't doing my job as a leader. Which means I may have to teach a whole lot of people a whole lot about leadership development that ain't on the team. I got to leverage my influence. How do I go and grow and develop the entire leadership team? First way is you get results. You do what they expect you to do relative to process improvement. You get results. That's going to increase your influence. We'll talk about that a little bit later today. Right now, I want to share with you a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. He says, in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing. And the worst thing you can do is nothing. In other words, no thing. So in any moment of decision, the best thing you can do is the right thing. The next best thing is the wrong thing because you actually took action, right? And the worst thing you can do is nothing. That's what he said, but I'm, I'm, I'm still going to, I'm going to amend that a little bit with my own thoughts because sometimes the best thing you can do is actually nothing. That's not what he was saying. And I'm sure that's not the context where that quote, that quote came from. And I'm sure he knows what I'm telling you now, but I want to make sure if you just replay and listen to that quote a little bit, sometimes the best thing you can do is, is nothing. He's saying it's the worst thing, but I still like his quote. I put it in my book. I want to share it with you, but I want to add to it a little bit. It depends, right? It depends. But he's talking about taking action. And I put it in this book because I'm talking about making it happen. So if you want to make something happen, the worst thing you can do is nothing. But sometimes if somebody's trying to press your button, trying to irritate you, maybe you're the lean leader, you're a consultant or you're an on-site lean leader. Somebody's trying to push your buttons, upset you, irritate you, get you to be angry. The best thing actually to make something happen may be to do nothing. So just like with all leadership principles, it depends. There's a, there's a lot of things. I mean, you could pick out any quote from anybody pretty much and say, yeah, it works in this situation, but don't work in that situation. So context is important. But I didn't just want to leave that sitting there without talking about that sometimes doing nothing is actually the best thing. So I want to tell you a story about a guy. It was in 2009, and I'm talking again about being a lean leader, making it happen. I walked in on Monday to this plant, and I walked into a, a team of people. They just looked pitiful. They just sitting around the table, arms crossed, no energy, no drive, 
no excited to make the stuff happen. They were just there. And that was going to be my team for the week. I think it was six or eight people. I had never met any of them. But guess what I was about to do that week? I was about to make it happen. And that was my team. And one of them, he was obviously angry. So when I would walk in like this on a Monday morning to a team, I would have people assembled. They're usually sitting, you know, at a long, skinny table, like it's in a boardroom or something like that, or meeting room. And one end was always open. That's usually where I would stand and talk to the folks, get them, you know, I'd have them kind of in a horseshoe shape around me. And this, there was this one gentleman. His name was Andy. He was, you may have heard me tell this story on another podcast. I tell it often because it was, it's a, it's a valuable story for a lot of reasons, but I'm putting it in, I put it in this book and I'm telling it to you now because it's part of making it happen. And so I get there and I always ask everybody, I'd like to write it up on a whiteboard or on a, on a flip chart. And I would ask everybody, you know, what's your name? How long you've been here? Years of service. What do you do? Uh, what do you do outside of here for fun? And one of the most important questions besides all of that is I want to know what were you thinking about last week? What were you thinking about last week related to this week? That was the last thing I'd ask each person because I wanted to know what was their mindset? What was the, what was, what is the mindset that I'm going to be dealing with on this team? What were they thinking about what we're about to do last week? So we go, I go around the room. And Andy happened to be on the left side of me. He, so he was the last person. I started on the right, went around the table, went around the room. And I was saving Andy for last. And the whole time everybody was talking, he's sitting there with his arms crossed, looking straight across at the table, was not paying me any, any attention whatsoever. I could tell he didn't like me. He didn't like being in there. He didn't like anything that we were about to be doing. But he was on my team. If you're on my team, you're on my team whether you won't be or not. And so I had to see how much influence can I build with Andy? What I don't even know what's wrong with Andy. I, you know, I've been there in, in 10 minutes, five minutes. But anyway, when I get to him, I, first of all, he don't want, want to talk at all. Finally, I get him to talk. He'll tell me, you know, his name, how long he's been there, what his job is. And he told everybody what his hobbies was. One reason I do that about the hobbies is I like to get people to, Talk about what they like to do outside of work because you wouldn't believe, or maybe you would believe, how many people just don't know each other. They don't know somebody collects old fishing lures or somebody collects old coins or somebody likes to build cabinets and they got a cabinet shop or somebody likes gardening or hot rod cars, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, he told what his hobby was, but he didn't want to say what he was thinking last week about this week. And again, this was 2009, so that's been, you know, been a while ago, 12 years ago now. And uh, I, I told him, I said, Andy, you're the most important person on the team. Because, you see, Andy was actually the operator in the area that we were about to, to do a lean event on. And we were doing a standard work event. And standard work, for me, when I say standard work, I don't mean just go out and create a, a uh, list of of, of process steps and you know document how the process is and and uh what each step is how long it takes what order it should be done yes we do that at the end 
but when I talk about a standard work event, I mean refiguring the entire workspace. If they're doing traditional manufacturing, batching, batching and queue, and I'm talking about taking a batch and queue area and creating a cellular a, a manufacturing cell, doing all this stuff in one week. I combined 5S, I combined quick changeover a lot of times. We did, we did TPM, but mainly we did cellular layout type stuff all at the same time because I understood how to do all of it. And I understood how to get folks to do it quickly and efficiently and effectively. So we transformed the entire area on Thursday. We start on Monday. Thursday is actually the transformation day. And then Thursday, Friday, we validate. So this is Monday morning. This is where we, I come in and I do my four hours of leadership development type stuff on Monday morning. And then Monday afternoon, I start teaching them whatever lean knowledge and skills that they need to have. And most of the time they didn't have any. So I had, you know, teach them everything relative to what we're about to do that week. So we could tap into their knowledge. So we had to, you know, cast the vision, so to speak. But this was Monday morning, right off the bat. So I finally get him to say, what was he thinking last week? And these are his words. I don't use profanity at all anymore, but I'm going to say what Andy said. It wasn't that bad, but it is what he said. I finally got him to speak. He turned around and looked at me because I'm saying, you know, Andy, what were you thinking last week about this week? He said, you want to know what I was thinking last week? I was thinking I couldn't wait till you got here this week so I could cut your damn throat. And he said it like a, a madman would say it because he was angry. You know, I'm just kind of saying it with a little bit of uh, extra pop in it. But he was fired up. And he was mad and he was angry. And I just reached over and pat him on the shoulder. I said, well, Andy, why don't you tell us how you really feel? Everybody else kind of chuckled. Andy, he didn't really chuckle. But what it let him know is it didn't offend me what he just said, which probably threw him for a loop because he probably didn't understand that. I said, why don't you tell us how you really feel? And I said, actually, what I really like to know is I just walked in this room. I do not even know you. What in the world would cause you to feel like that about me? And as I'm telling you this, I want you to learn and understand and know this kind of situation and a bunch of them like it. That's where I really learned to lead. I had to go in, get a team of people. Some of them like Andy on a Monday morning. A lot of them didn't like me, didn't like change, didn't want to change, didn't like the last consultant, don't like the boss, don't like each other. And I got to build a team while we're actually improving the process and improve the process and then have this group of people present on Friday to the big dogs what they accomplished. And I logged 11,000 hours doing that. And I did it all while I was reading and learning and, you know, beginning to read and learn these books in 2008. I did these, I logged these 11 hours, 11,000 hours between 2005 and, and 2012. So a lot of the time was spent when I was reading these books and teaching them to other people before I started writing my own books. So I, so I knew I had to build trust with Andy because he didn't trust me, man wanting to kill me. So I knew I had to build trust with him. But I had to find out why he feel like that first. And he was happy to tell me. He said, he said, uh, plant manager told me that, that you were going to throw out my rack, his platform. What he meant was a platform he stood on. And he stood on it for ergonomic reasons, to lift him up so that he was not reaching up real high 
to operate the machine. You know, just get him at a nice level. If you're familiar with lean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Raise him up, get him at a nice working level to the machine. Easier to put the man on a platform than it is to dig a hole and lower the machine. So he needed that platform. So wh why did his leader tell him that? Well, let me give you a little, the backstory. Several weeks before that, I had came into the plant. First time I'd ever been there. Met with the plant manager. Uh, uh, the owners of the company out of, from a different state had sent me up to this plant in, in, in this specific state. And uh, I was just taking a walk with the plant manager, looking for an area to do the very first ever. They had never done any kind of lean. We were going to do a pilot, a Kaizen event on standard work to show them the potential. If they'd get serious about it, what it could actually do for them and the organization. So I was walking through the plant. I found an area and Andy was over there working. I didn't know it was Andy then. It was just some man working on a platform. And there was a lot of whip, a lot of work in process, a lot of racks, brand new, pretty racks on casters. That's a good lean thing. They were on casters on wheels so you can move them around real easy. That was a good thing. The only problem was there was 40 or 50. I don't remember how many it was. It was a lot of them. They were brand new. They were loaded with, with, with parts and components. That was a bad thing. Didn't need all those parts and components. Didn't even need the racks. If you're going to have them, it's nice that they're on wheels, but it'd be better to never have spent the money in the first place. But they had just spent a lot of money to get those racks that they didn't need. But they did need them the way they were operated. They did need the platform that Andy was standing on. So anyway, I look around. I asked a lot of questions. I said, hey, let's do it right here. Let's do the pilot lean event right here. And he says, well, what do you think will happen? I said, the aerial, the required square footage for this department will probably be reduced by 75%. Most of it will be empty space. All these racks will be gone. He's like, what? We just spent, you know, how many tens of thousands of dollars on these racks? <laughs> I said, I hate it. I don't know what you're going to do with them, but you ain't going to need them in this department. I said, and, and it won't matter if you throw them in the garbage, you're going to make a whole lot more money without them because they're costing you money. It costs you money to get them and it costs you money to have them. I said, so they're going to be gone. The platform the guy's on is going to be gone. All this equipment's going to be moved. It's going to be put close together. A lot of the junk separating, it's going to be out of the area. And he said, what you mean moved? I said, got to move it. Thursday's going to be the move day whenever I'm up here. Got to relocate airlines, water lines, gas lines. Uh, electrical lines, anything to operate, needed to operate these pieces of equipment. On Thursday, we're going to have to change it, reroute it through the ceiling, whatever. He's like, we can't do that. I said, well, that's what we're going to do. He said, well, we can't do it. I said, everybody else does it. I said, if you can't do it, maybe you need to call the owner of the company and tell him that, that you ain't the man for the job or why you can't do it. But that's what they're expecting you to do because I've proven in their other plants that they can do it if they got a leader who wants to do it. And so I said, but what you can't do is you can't tell anybody who works here about our discussion because everything I just told you, it's not going to be my idea. It's going to be their idea. I'm going to lead them and ask them a lot of questions, teach them some stuff. And what I teach them and the knowledge they already have they're going to make decisions that's going to cause what I just described to you to happen. I said, but it's going to be their idea. If you go tell everybody up front, they're going to think it's my idea. And it, it ain't my idea. It's just what's going to happen. I know I've done this, you know, many, many times for many, many years at that point. 
And he agreed he wouldn't tell him. But guess what he told Andy? Because I learned this later, afterwards, after the event that I was telling you about when Andy wanted to cut my throat. Sometime during that week, I learned that the plant manager had told him that because Andy caused him a lot of trouble. Andy was kind of rough, and, and I mean, he's the kind of guy to tell you, you want to cut your throat on a Monday morning. That's who Andy was. So the plant manager, who was a manager of people, was trying to do what managers of people do and, and is trying to manage Andy. So he's trying to soften him up by telling him what was coming so he could think about it. So he'd be less mad on Monday, but you know, he, he stressed the man out for several weeks, what it sounded like happened. That's not good leadership. That's management of people. So anyway, Andy, you know, Andy told me, the plant manager had told him that I was going to take out his platform. And I said, Andy, you're the most important person on this team. If, if you decide during this week that that platform needs to be there, it's going to stay there. You're the most important person on the team. If somebody in this building says that that platform has to be moved and you don't want it to be moved, I'm leaving and I won't be back. I'm not going to support leaders who would treat you and disrespect you that way. I said, if you decide this week that it needs to stay and we have it at the end of the week, it's still here. A month from now, somebody here tells you it needs to go and you don't want it to go. They just simply want it to go because they thought I wanted it to go. You call me and I won't ever be back. I said, I know you don't know me, but that's all I can do is, is tell you that and you're going to have to trust me. And then I taught him lessons about trust. And Andy got on board. He got on board to be pretty quick after I had the talk that I just described to you because he knew I was different already. And he believed me and he trusted me. And so we went out that week. We made it happen. Guess who was on the forklift on Wednesday with a chain hooked to their platform, taking it out back to throw it in the scrap bin? It was Andy. By Wednesday, it was Andy's idea that he didn't need that platform. It was not even a second thought because now he knew what he didn't know previously. And now he understood where we were going. He knew now what I knew back when I had to talk on the shop floor with the plant manager when I asked him not to tell anybody. The plant manager would have just kept his mouth shut. Andy would have been fine. We'd have walked in that day. Andy wouldn't have been talking about cutting anybody's throat. He wouldn't have gotten everybody riled up in the plant for two weeks before I got there. He would have just been Andy. And everything would have went smooth. But again, it still went smooth. Because I made it happen. So let me tell you this. Most lean experts are not leadership experts. They may be naturally good leaders, but most haven't actually studied, applied, and taught leadership development formally. That's what I started doing in 2008 with all of my lean teams. So thousands and thousands of hours, I started teaching them what I was learning. I made it a part of my lean program. It became how I did what I did. It's what this book is about, to teach you what did I actually do. So to become a high-impact lean leader, you must learn to make things happen by embracing personal growth and leadership development on an entirely new level. You may have not ever studied this, but again, you may be naturally good, but most naturally good lean leaders don't teach leadership development and personal growth during their Kaizen events because they think, I'm not here to do that. I'm here to 
to improve the process. Well, guess who's going to improve the process? The people. You want to engage them, go slow to go fast. You want to build relationships with them, go slow to go fast. Because, you know, I was telling you, I, I taught Andy that, and the whole team lessons on trust, and I taught them a lot of other stuff. Several months later, though, I was up in that plant. Oh, and by the way, that week, we doubled the output per person per hour in that work sale. And it was 75% reduction in floor space. All those racks were gone. All that working process was gone. All that batching queue was gone. It was a single piece flow operation. All those uh, electric, water, gas, uh, all, those, all those lines were moved on Thursday. That, that plant manager figured out a way to make it happen. And we validated it on Friday and they were 100% improvement in output per person per hour. Andy was one of the workers. He wasn't working harder. He was doing the same amount of work, but he was producing twice as much because he wasn't doing all the wasted steps. It's phenomenal. But a couple months later, I was back up there and Andy was all happy and they had improved on it even some more then because they got used to it, made little tweaks, true kinds and small changes for the better they were doing. But when I walked out into the plant, all throughout the plant on all the columns, there was a white piece of paper on every column. I walked over and looked at it, and it was the trust lesson I had taught on Monday morning, right after Andy threatened to cut my throat. So I was like, whoever did this is on my team. So I started asking questions. I want to know who's, who's going around, who values this so much they're walking around taping up this trust lesson on every column in the plant. They made copies on their own and taped it up on their own all throughout the plant. Guess who it was? It was Andy. Andy was one of my biggest fans. And he followed me for years and years and years. As far as I know, he still does. I got so many followers now, I can't hardly keep up with him. But I used to see him liking stuff occasionally on uh, Facebook for years and years. And I call him every now and then. I actually probably should call him sometime soon, check on him. But uh, I called him for a lot of t long time. He got promoted to supervisor later. He bought into all this stuff. He bought into the lean stuff. He bought into the leadership stuff. All I did was respect him. And so consider that 87% of your influence. Remember, I talked about this last episode, but consider, again, 87% of your influence results come from character and only 13% from competency. So in lean language, that means 87% of your influence is based on respect for the people. That's where the character side of it is. And only 13% is based on continuous improvement. If you're a lean leader and you know all about lean and you ain't never thought about that, what I just did is put two, two sets of principles together for you. In the leadership world, 87% of your influence comes from character, 13% from competency. In the lean world, the two components of lean are respect for people and continuous improvement. Most people, especially managers of people, they only focus on the continuous improvement component which is the competency side of the equation, which is the 13%. Very few people focus a lot of energy and effort in the respect for the people component of lean, which is what I say is the 87% character component. So now what I just taught you explains why I do what I do today. I shifted my time and energy 100% to the respect for the people side of the lean equation. So anybody who really, really understands lean, 
they know I'm still doing lean. I just ain't doing continuous improvement anymore. I let somebody else do that. I'm 100% over on the respect for the people side, helping people do what most of them don't normally do. And that's focused on that 87%. Character of the people on the teams, character of the leaders, character of the support people, character of everybody in the organization. That's usually the problem related to buy-in and the reason we can't sustain the gains. This whole book's going to be a lot about that type stuff. But nothing I read really ever taught me how to truly build respect and trust and confidence in the people. All the lean books, they always say, you know, you got to include the people, make it all about the people. Don't do it to the people, do it with the people. But it doesn't really go into depth. That's what all my books are for. My books go into depth about all of this. How do you build these relationships? But still, it takes somebody valuing it to do it. But I'm telling you, as a lean leader, you lead the Kaizen event. You get to decide how to do it. I'm about to teach you through the, out this series and this book how to do it like I did it. You don't have to, but I got ridiculous results every week for over 11,000 hours. I didn't have any bad teams. I didn't have any bad weeks. I don't know what your life's like as a lean leader, but mine was awesome. And I'm going to teach you why it was awesome throughout this series. And here's one nugget for you. This is one reason. Character multiplies competency. So what I'm telling you right here, you can leverage the lean tools and multiply their effectiveness by respecting the people. So respect for the people leverages, multiplies continuous improvement. Respect for the people ain't just giving them a pat on the back. It ain't just putting them on a team. It ain't just giving them a turkey at Thanksgiving. That ain't, that's, that's just being nice to people. Respect for, for the people is developing the people as people because you value them as people. You won't become a high-impact lean leader if you can't control yourself when others don't. Lucky, luckily for me, I had grown myself to the point that when Andy was so mad and angry at me and said he wanted to cut my throat, that I could just pat him on the shoulder and make a joke. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, Andy? That is not who I used to be. There would have been an ugly confrontation with Andy. The person I used to be, it would have been ugly. He would have, he would have either killed me or I would have killed him or he would have quit. But I wouldn't have quit. I would never have quit. I go to the end, and fortunately for me, all the people I met in my life like me. Nobody killed me. They always quit, so I didn't have to kill them. I'm just telling you some truth. I used to have an anger problem, and the, the way that man talked to me that day, it wouldn't have worked. But I had grown, and I, I didn't have those kind of problems with people anymore. I don't today. But luckily for me, in 2009, I had already grown, and, and I only started reading this stuff in 2008. So by 2009, I had learned the main components that I needed to know to be able to control my emotions like that. And I started teaching it to folks because I know a lot of those had, just like he, Andy, Andy needed to learn what I had learned because he needed to learn to control himself. But I built a relationship, was able to teach him that stuff that week. Some emotions shouldn't be followed because they are bad leaders. Anger is a bad leader. That's what I'm talking about. Some emotions are good leaders, but there's a lot of them that are bad leaders. So you got to be careful about those emotions. 
But you think about it. Who do you want on your team? Someone that could control themselves or someone who can't? I know which ones you want on your team. I know which ones you might also have on your team. And one reason you may have people on your team who can't control themselves or leaders in your plant that can't control themselves or, or in your company, because a lot of them, they've never been taught these principles because I used to could, I used to not be able to control myself. But once I learned some specific principles and heard some stories, I learned that I could do it. And then I learned why I should do it and why I needed to do it and why it was valuable if I would do it. A lot of people never heard that kind of stuff. I'm challenging you as a lean leader, become a resource so that you can help people be better people and live a better life. High impact lean leaders make it happen because of their character. If you're not doing this kind of stuff I'm already starting to talk about in this book, we're only on chapter five of 30. If all this is foreign to you as a lean leader, you've done nothing like this when you lead a Kaizen event, I'm telling you, you got a lot of room for improvement and a ton of opportunity to get better results with your team. And as a lean leader, I promise you, if you get better results, you're going to have big, bigger and better income. You're going to have a better life. But so are the people on your team. So are the people working in those organizations. It's habit four of the seven habits. Win-win. Everybody's going to win. If you get better as a lean leader, you win. Everybody else wins. I'm going to leave you with a quote by Willis R. Whitney. He says, some men have thousands of reasons why they cannot do what they want to. When all they need is one reason why they can. All you need is one reason why you can and should do the stuff that I'm teaching. I don't know what that reason is. I don't know what you value. You got to figure out out of all the stuff I'm talking about, why should you embrace leadership and make it a component of your lean initiative and your Kaizen events, most specifically relative to this book. All you need is one reason. And now I'm, I'm challenging you, make it happen. Don't plan on making it happen. High impact leaders, make it happen. This book is a guide and a resource to help you as a lean leader, make it happen. Talk to you next time. Make it happen or someone else will. It might as well be you. Are you serious about taking your career and your life to the next level and beyond? Check out Max Story's Blue Collar Leadership Series books and others now available on audio along with paperback and ebooks at Amazon, iTunes, and Audible. Please visit bluecollarleadership.com to learn about Max books, programs, special offers, certifications, and more. Thank you for listening to the Blue Collar Leadership Podcast.